you don't really know like how good is my art in comparison like what can I do to improve okay there are artists better than mine or right, I gotta bump up my quality you know like you you have to have a balance of not going crazy over comparing yourself but mm-hmm. kind of using it as a tool. You're listening to Art and Magic, and I'm your host, Devin Walls. Hello, welcome back to the show. I have a really exciting conversation in store for you today. It's with artist Lauren Hanachai. And I came across Lauren's work a little over a year ago now, and it was one of those discoveries where I became completely obsessed. So getting to chat with her and talk to her about her work and um, the show that I actually found her through was really exciting. If you're not familiar with her work, I encourage you to maybe pause this here if you can, not if you're driving, (laughs) uh, and go check out her paintings. You can do so with links in the show notes. And that's because in the first part of the conversation, we dig pretty deep into the shifts in her work and her aesthetic and the themes that she's been working with and changing between over the past couple years. And I think um, you'll really enjoy it if you have the visual to go along with it. Later, we get into how Lauren connected with ThinkSpace, which is the gallery that I found her through, um, what it was like to prepare for her solo show with them, how she manages outreach, which I found particularly interesting and how she makes being an artist work financially through her different income streams. We also get into a little bit about her DMT experience and how it's influenced her paintings. So a bit of a content warning there for you. I don't think that's anything new for the show, Um, but yeah, if you have little ones around, you don't want to know about that, keep that in mind. And then we also touch on what it's like to be an artist in Hawaii and how she feels about being a working artist in an area that's off the mainland. Little heads up, we did have some internet connection issues, but I don't think it's anything that obscures the conversation too badly, and just know if you get a little glitch, it's going to go away. So a little more about Lauren, if you don't already know her. Lauren Hanachai is known for contrasting her traditional Korean upbringing with her modern American life and including a personal story or cultural narrative to accompany each piece. As the first in her family born in America, she was raised by her Southern Korean grandparents in Hawaii. She moved across the Pacific to San Francisco to study at the Academy of Art University. After some time following the technique-based curriculum, Lauren says she relished breaking the rules and mixing abstract elements into the work. Her current series places side-by-side traditional elements such as Korean folk art and Buddhist temple architecture, and modern elements such as interracial relationships or sexually charged figures. She's been featured in NBC News, KBS World Radio, Houston NPR, and the Honolulu Star Bulletin. She was a lot of fun to talk to, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. So just one announcement before we get into the interview. If you missed the news last week, the show now has a Patreon, and I could not be more excited about it. Uh, In my time off in between seasons, I was really asking myself, you know, how can I continually create episodes for the show in a way that's sustainable. So I created the Patreon as a way for you to be able to support the show if you're enjoying it and you want to, and where you can get extra episodes, content, and some intimate community interaction if you're also wanting that. So there's different levels. There's just like a $3 level if you want to just throw out a couple bucks to support, which really adds up. At the $5 level, you get one bonus 
art and magic podcast episode per month. That's for patrons only. So it's like a secret episode. Um, And at the $15 level, you can send in one question a month and get a personalized response from yours truly. So that could look like, you know, a process question, a business question, or if you want to send in a photo and get some feedback on a work in progress or your Instagram feed, I am here for that. The bonus episode for April is already waiting for you, and it's a really fun one. Uh, it's a Q&A where I talk about finding creative community, finding a studio space, uh, how I keep track of inspiration, my relationship to art history. There's like a whole hodgepodge of to- topics in there that I think you'll like. So the link to the Patreon is in the show notes. All right, without further ado, I give you my conversation with Lauren Hanachai. Uh, I, like I kind of mentioned, I did some stalking of your YouTube channel, but I kind of just watched the beginning of a lot of videos, just hopped around a little bit. And I was actually wondering, is it a live workspace that you're in? I feel like I saw a video of you like folding up your bed. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it is a live and workspace. I was just sleeping out near my studio cause it's cooler out there, but, um, I'm not like in the doghouse or anything of my fiance. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's a live-in workspace. It's a uh, one-bedroom that we're in, and I share with my fiance. He paints on this side that the camera's not facing, and then I paint on the other side. Oh, your fiance is an artist too. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're living? I was wondering about this. Like, do you feel like it's a pro or a con living up close to your work all the time? I guess it's not really that big a deal to me. It's more of a pro because I like being able to just get up and start painting when I have a feeling to paint. Um, mm-hmm. And if I need to get away, I can just step out. And yeah. Works for me. So, yeah, I, yeah. I love working home. I need it. If it's a separate yeah. studio, I have a hard time getting out and getting myself to the studio. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather be here. Yeah, I have the same. My studio is a 30-minute commute. And so on the one hand, it kind of like forces me to keep things separate. But I feel like sometimes it's such an effort to like make my lunch and like get out the door. I feel like I'm going to school. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> yeah it just some people really love that having that like commute and having it be completely separate from their home and they don't have to like get distracted by other things but yeah I don't know it works for me do you feel like you work really well in close quarters with your fiance because it's like you spend so much time at home and then you're both painting like right next to each other for those who are listening to this I'm like looking into your studio space how's that been uh it's been fine actually we so we've been together for I want to say around 10 years now a long time we met in art school so we're used to always painting next to each other like we started out as studio buddies in the classroom Mm. painting together and then you know lived together and then we painted in like a tiny ass little bedroom at one point we're living in SF living with like six other guys like we are so used to it. And now that we're here in this larger space, it's the first time we can really call it a home and just, you know, it, it's, it's a blessing to be here. So it's, it's no problem. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, it looks beautiful in there. I'm like, Oh, I just want to come over and look at all your work. And I yes, also really want to go to Hawaii. So those <laughs> yeah. would go hand in hand. Ever here. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So for those who aren't looking at your work, like I am right now, or um, just haven't seen your work in general, could you tell us a little bit of, uh, just about your work and what you're working on? Yeah, sure. Um, so I normally paint a lot from Korean folk art. I'm inspired a lot by Korean folk art and Buddhism, Buddhist temples, some shamanism mixed in there. 
And I usually like to fuse it with a lot of my more American upbringing and my, or just the rest of the Western world, I guess. And uh, sometimes my artwork can be more erotic. And then at other times it can lean more political. It kind of has this umbrella it works under, I guess. Uh, yeah, so you do have a lot of really interesting themes in your work, which we're going to talk more about. Um, but before we get into that, I know that there was a big shift in your work, like maybe over the last couple years, or I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about the work you were making before and then what inspired this shift into work that's like very vibrant and maybe a little more esoteric. Um, yeah, if we're talking about from a couple years back, I guess at the time I was just focused more on Korean cultural paintings. Is that maybe what you're referring to? Um, yeah, that, and then I, I know that there was some work, um, that had to do with finding your mom. Is that, oh, yes. is that okay, true? We're gonna go way back. Oh, is yeah. that way back? I think I, I think because I'd seen a lot, well, and that the content of that is really interesting. So I think it's probably made its way into a lot of um, researchable online things. And then um, also the aesthetic, you know, like it seems like the aesthetic has gotten a lot more vibrant. So maybe that shift didn't happen necessarily in that body of work. But um, yeah, anything that feels significant, I'm curious about. Yeah, actually that shift in more vibrant colors did happen during the mom series. So when I was in my senior year in art school, I started delving more into what had happened with my family. There was all these issues with my mom leaving when I was younger, and I just didn't really know all the full details. And I was finally trying to come to terms with it. So while I was really exploring it, I found old photos of her, and I would start drawing her face over and over again. And you know, um, eventually it led to doing these paintings about her in these spaces she was at while we were apart. And then it moved on. You know, my fiance actually. Uh, boyfriend at the time was the one who suggested why don't you like continue to paint more of her in these different locations and it could be like a lasso locations thing and I was like oh maybe I should so you know I started doing that and I was going through therapy at the time so it was just a very like dark kind of period in my life where all of this was just coming out um, and it was being like thrown up onto the paintings and they were way more like chaotic uh, more abstract too in certain areas and how I paint now a lot more textured and a lot more darker in colors and a lot more muted and towards the end of the series it runs a course of six paintings um, by the sixth painting everything got really really bright and things have kind of shifted and I kind of attributed that to me going through this healing period with dealing with this and kind of coming out in a brighter um brighter end of the tunnel or whatever you want to call it so mm. I started doing that and after the mom series I started really opening up my I guess self-exploration of who I am I started questioning a lot of my identity and so I explored a lot of erotic themes because at the time I mean I was living in San Francisco it's just like King City <laughs> so a lot of that was coming out in my life and so it came out of my paintings um, then it moved on to doing a lot of Korean historical works and Korean heritage. So going into my own heritage and roots. And then it kind of transformed into what I'm doing now. I guess it's almost like a combination of everything. Um, and I know I don't paint about my mom necessarily now, but a lot of it has kind of stemmed from that, that I still 
bring with me in my paintings now in terms of like esoteric things. So it's all kind of combined, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Even hearing that trajectory and thinking about how there really is this constant thread of identity. Like I think we gain so much, you know, information about who we are from our parents and from our sexuality and from our cultural heritage. Um, yeah. Do you feel like that seems to like tie it all together a little bit or is like part of even how seeing your mom, um, like being the background of the content that you're doing now? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because without all of that, I would never have even thought to delve deeper into who I am or question, you know? Mm-hmm. So she really is at the base of it, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it's interesting too. Um, I know, uh, you did a recent show called Little Death, which the paintings are phenomenal. I'm I'm obsessed with like the Little Death show and then these new Souls in Motion pieces, which maybe we'll get more into. Um, but I, I hadn't made that connection before this this idea of little little death and just like facing death in general. Do you feel like that's all kind of tied in? Yeah, you know, I guess it's something that I was thinking about more now that I'm back home. I moved back home to Hawaii, uh, I guess it's been three years or so. And I'm back with my family now, and I grew up with my grandparents, and they're getting a lot older, and it's kind of just a common topic to talk about death and preparing for their death, and whether it's their children, like my dad and my aunt preparing their grave, literally, or whether it's my grandparents talking about their own death, you know, and how they feel each individually about it. So it comes up a lot and it forces me to really think about my own death as well. And I think it was just something that I wanted to explore with paint. Mm, yeah. All of that, yeah. Yeah. And then, the, so I'm curious how, I know you've been basing a lot of paintings, um, like kind of doing your own version of Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights. Um, is that just your newest paintings or did that start with the, the little death show? When I was doing the show to where I am now was a transition period. I, you know, I actually didn't really know how I was going to do the show. So originally it was supposed to be a year later, but Mm. because of the pandemic, um, it got moved up a lot, way faster and kind the last minute switch so I was kind of panicking being like oh man I'm already in this period where I'm transitioning my work and I don't know where it's gonna go and I just said yes quickly to doing this show um and for me it's like one of the bigger galleries I've been in so it for me it was like a big deal like okay I really gotta nail this and so uh, you know I there are some pieces that I like more than others I'll just say that but um yeah it definitely because I'm not doing Little Death now and I think I've kind of expunged that a bit and it has transformed into the Souls in Motion piece so that was maybe kind of the in-between for me the mm. Little Death series maybe it'll just remain as that <laughs> yeah if that makes sense no it totally makes sense and the reason I'm asking these questions um is because I see the relationship. And I, I was wondering as I was looking at that show and what you're working on now, um, just I think questions that artists think about like, oh, did she plan these to be related? Um, is she still like jumping off from this? And how did this come about? Um, so that makes total sense that that was like 
a bridge show for you. Um, yeah, because I see how how it's blossoming now, but also how the maybe the theme has shifted a little bit, like the the use of mushrooms and I guess they might still be in the Souls and Motions paintings, but um, the new paintings feel more Garden of Earthly Delights related. I'm not sure if that lands, but that's what I was kind of trying to figure out as I was looking at them. Yeah, they uh, you know they have similar elements with the whole Korean folk imagery and. Uh, the shrooms and the peaches and them symbolizing the same things in each paintings. But I guess the only thing that's really different is having the figures decaying and all of that and having just kind of more um, like one or two figures versus like this entire scene. I mm-hmm. feel like I needed to open it up a lot more with the composition rather than keeping it to what I was kind of used to with just like a portrait or a figure and then elements around it. I so see. yeah, that really was the um, bridge because I I probably tried like large amount of paintings after the show, continuing the little death, and it just wouldn't work out. It just for you know like I I felt pressure for the show and I had to finish it for this, and I feel like I did good for that. But now that the pressure was off for the show, and I just had all this time to okay now back to really like figuring out what I'm doing here, like it just it just wouldn't work. So it somehow transitions into what I'm doing now. Yeah. So um, since you brought up the show, uh, I don't know if you already said this, but it's at, it was at ThinkSpace. And I wanted to talk to you about that anyway. So that's super interesting that I got moved up a year earlier. I'm really feeling for you um, in going through <laughs> that. And so I'm curious about like how that connection came about. And um, did you... I guess I'm trying to think about what the question is here because I didn't know that I got moved up like that. But yeah, just maybe let's start with how how it came about in general. It was just emailing. So I had reached out. I normally, I don't know, once a month or so, just emailing a bunch of galleries that I like and submitting to them. And that was one of them. He messaged me really quickly back and was like, hey, actually, we're coming down to Hawaii soon for uh, powwow. So they collab with Pow Wow doing like a gallery exhibition with a Pow Wow artist. He's like, why don't you come and be in the show and come and say hi to me? We're going to, well, you know, I want to meet you. Let's talk and let's have a show with ThinkSpace. So I was like, okay. So, you know, as soon as he got down, oh, and this was actually before I found out that I was in Pow Wow. So at the same time, I was every year emailing Pow Wow be like, hey, these are some murals I've done. Would love to join, you know, and finally that was the year that they got back to me. Um, and so it worked out. You know, I got to do Pow, I got to meet Andrew with ThinkSpace, and then, you know, that's how it all happened. Very cool. Okay, Digital that's <laughs> What'd you say? Digital tools is the way. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to hear because I think I'm always under the impression that um, these artists, like, just get magically discovered somehow, like, through some connection through school or some magical unknown force of <laughs> of the art world. So I actually really enjoy hearing that, like, nope, once a month I email people and this is how that happened. I think that's really good information for people to know. Um, and that's awesome. So then you met them, you did the show at Pow Wow, and then... I'm assuming like kept in touch and then you got offered the solo show at ThinkSpace. So then were you totally freaking out when you got the solo show? I was, it was, you know, such a huge thing. So yeah, it's, I still get like jitters thinking about it. I wish the pandemic didn't happen though, so that I could have been there in person. Yeah. That was, how I was right before the pandemic. So you know spirits were high, we're all excited and all got shut down. But you know, luckily they were really good about um showing it virtually and doing like a whole 
360 camera of it, like a VR version. It's very interactive. So yeah, yeah, they did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I found you. So they did. I feel like they do a really, oh, really? good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're like, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do a really good job of promoting their artists, and I know that that's something that's really important to them. And, um, so yes, this is how we found you. So, um, when it came down to the show, did you like have a plan for how many pieces it needed to be? Did you shorten it because like the timeline got moved up? Um, did you have the concept for Little Death before you started painting, or did that come about through painting the pieces? I was already kind of exploring this theme right around the time Andrew contacted me about moving up the show. So I figured, okay, maybe we'll slap this title on it and let's make this work. So I decided to further go down this path and really try to um, make it look cohesive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wait, what was the rest of the question? Am I missing something? No, no, that was the question. Yeah, like, did you, I'm always curious about when just people's or artists approaches to shows. So like, if they have the full concept beforehand, if they have like an idea, and then the concept comes up later, is it something you like agreed upon with the gallerist? Um, Which, yeah, you pretty much answered Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He had told me, you know, eight to 10 pieces. And uh, it was a smaller like project room show whereas there was like a bigger show in the main room with a different artist so it was like two solo shows going on at the same time so it wasn't too much pressure I'm not filling up the entire space it was just a small project room but I was hoping to do more uh, scrolls so I hand make scrolls like those Asian hanging scrolls and I wanted to do more of those if I had more time but I only made one for the show yeah, that would have been something that was different as well as the size of the pieces. I would have liked to have gone bigger, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Next one. Yeah. Next one for sure. Um, well, I think it came out great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So kind of on this, this idea of like letting things develop intuitively versus with an idea, I'm curious, there seems to be like a lot of narrative in your, in your pieces. And I'm wondering when you go in to start a piece, how much planning goes into it versus how much of it is intuitive and like what your process looks like. Uh, Most of the time I actually just store a lot of images on my computer. Every time I see an image that I like, I just save it and store and have all these multiple folders. And when it comes time to figure out like a concept, I work intuitively with Photoshop. So I'll put them together digitally and create a photo collage and kind of let the images speak. And then a concept kind of comes from the images. That's about like 90% of all my paintings is done that way. But then, uh, you know, lately I've been kind of coming up with an idea first, kind of like a general idea first, and then gathering images around that idea and then putting together a composition. So it's, it's yeah, maybe shifting now. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up with the photo collaging. I've just now, for the first time, started doing a little bit of digital planning. And so I'm looking at other people's work and I'm wondering if this is a common thing. <laughs> so that actually makes me really happy to hear that that's part of your process too. Um, yeah, you need that. But I like how even the digital process is very intuitive. I also saw, I think, on your YouTube channel that you use yourself as a model a lot of the times. Um, do, can you tell us about why that is? 
honestly, well, you know what, in the beginning, when I was exploring a lot of self-identity themes, it was obviously for the self-identity concept. Now, I feel like it's a little bit less centered on me and who I am as the reason why I'm painting me, but for one, it's very convenient because I'm right here and it'll be a lot easier to have my time. You know, sometimes I feel guilty when I have someone come over and I take their photo and maybe I end up actually not painting them because it was not them, but me, like the painting didn't work out or like the angle didn't work out. I have to have them come over and I feel bad being like, can you just turn a little bit more this way retake this entire photo for just this. So yeah, it's, it's way more convenient to paint myself, but um, I guess as, as the themes in my work have become a bit more expanded and universal versus like me and my ego, uh, it's less about the individual. Even though I'm in there, I'm not really like trying to render out my face or really trying to make a statement exactly about me. It's less about that, but having just a human figure in there. Um, sometimes it'll be for the purpose of the woman rather than like me specifically having that representation in the painting for whatever reason but yeah multiple reasons I guess yeah yeah totally I love the convenience piece just because that's so real like it's it's challenging to get the perfect image and to have it on hand and so I think that's really helpful for people to hear but it also ties into your work quite well um and I feel like the result of that, like having your likeness in your paintings also works really well at the same time. So it seems like dual purposed. <laughs> right, right. It works out. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So before we move away from like the content of your paintings and all of that, I did just kind of want to ask, I read on your website, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but talking about your new work. And just one line stood out to me, so you're going to have to re-put it into context for me, but that a lot of your work comes back to tripping balls. And, <laughs> and like, just first of all, I love um, just like the normal language of that, like in use of describing your own work. Um, it was relatable, at least for me. And, and then I'm also um, just interested in the story there, like how I think I also read that... Um, the shift in your new work has been inspired by some of your DMT experiences and anything you want to share in that department, we're kind of no stranger to entheogens on this podcast. So I would love to hear about it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's not like I've done a whole lot of different kind of psychedelics or anything. So my DMT experience was just one experience so far. I'd like to do more. But it was camping here in Hawaii with some friends and just trying it out. It was kind of a kind of a mess because my friend had a DMT vape pen and it was from his friend who's starting this business to try to liquefy DMT and have it smokable in a vape pen. So it was a very like new product, like guinea pig type of thing. And it was kind of faulty. So the button wasn't really working and lighting it up hot enough. You know, we kept trying to pass it around, trying to make it work, but it wasn't working. So, you know, we tried taking out of the um, cartridge and just like, never like DMT. It tastes <laughs> awful. It's not going to do anything. <laughs> we learned that the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> so that didn't work. And so what we had to end up doing was putting it some drops on a weed or uh, on weed and smoking it that way. So that was the only okay. way we could do it because it had to be high heat. <laughs> high heat. So... 
out of everyone, I was the only one that actually got a DMT trip. No one else got the hit, I guess. Um, and it lasted for like 10 minutes and it felt like 10 minutes because I was conscious throughout it all somehow. So I really like that part, you know, it feels clean. It feels like I'm not just like, whoa, gone. Um, but, you know, I started off with like the typical beautiful colors and everything's radiating and it was great. And uh, I felt like I was seeing into people and seeing all their like nerves and cells and all that. And then I lied down that's when everything fast forward for me and I got shot into space and it was as if some kind of God was taking me by the hand. It was like, Hey, this, I'm going to show you what the world is really like, what it's made of. And he like got me into this super fast montage of seeing our world come into existence. And I saw like fucking dinosaurs roaming and dying and, you know, tadpoles coming out of the water and crawling on land and becoming the humans we are today. And you know, it was, it was massive. It was crazy. And it, I felt so much love throughout it all. You know, I felt like love was really moving things forward as hippie and vague as that sounds. I truly believed it. And for me, it was uh, kind of like a confirmation of witnessing what I already believed in. That we all came from the universe anyway, and that all of this does help move things forward, you know, with love and how we're all connected so it was um yeah it was a very beautiful experience and i i take that experience kind of lightly maybe you know i think i was trying to inject more of the spiritual feel and the grand majestic feel of that scene i had shooting up into my paintings more so than like what exactly i saw during DMT trip, you know, it's not an exact representation. I'm not like Alex Gray or whatever, but I definitely take that and try to inject some spirituality and sacredness into my work. I'm so curious about the timeline at which that happened. Like, were you already kind of working in this style and then that reinforced it? Or was that maybe the catalyst for, for a lot of your work now? It was definitely the catalyst for um, my first Souls in Motion piece, which, mm. which was a uh, it has like two dragons on either end and it's just this giant scene um, of people in this oasis. Uh, so that's what I created directly after that trip and then everything else came after. So yeah, this I guess this really was a huge marking point without me really realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's funny to look back on those things because I don't know if you have this experience. Like sometimes in the studio, it's just kind of like, oh, things are just happening and moving along. But then when I really look back at the timeline, whether it's a psychedelic experience or a personal event, you're like, oh yeah, I guess that was really at the time that I started doing that thing. And I always find that interesting. <laughs> we always got to reflect. It's good to keep yeah. the journal or something because it reveals a lot. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you, you do that? Pride? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, what Sorry. Did you say? so I was gonna ask if you've tried DMT before then. Oh, um, I have, but I've never broken through. Like I've had a couple. It's it's difficult to do, kind of like you were describing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you have to really have the right tools. Um, I've done ayahuasca, so but it's a different different thing. Um, I'm sure that there's crossover, but I guess I wouldn't entirely know because, yeah, I've had very mild DMT experiences, but it's on my list. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, gotta get back at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might be a little bit scarred. I've had some intense, especially on ayahuasca experiences. So I think I'm kind of like, mm, 
this year I've been, oh, I've been treading lightly on things, but I will, I will get back to it. I'm sure at some point. <laughs> when the time is right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I always find that fascinating and I always hope that people listening do as well. I think they do. Um, okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit into, um, like the career side of being an artist. And I'm, I'm always so curious about how artists are making things work financially. I was wondering if you could share a little bit, um, like what was your journey into becoming full-time if you are full-time, um, do you find yourself like balancing your own work, client work? I know you sell merchandise. Um, what does that, that all looked like for you? Yeah, so uh, I went full time two years ago now or so. So it's fairly new for me, but I've by now come up with three avenues to keep myself afloat. Uh, one of them is merch, like you mentioned. Another is mural painting, and that's usually like the biggest price ticket um, to help pay the bills. And then the third thing, of course, is gallery paintings, I'm doing shows. So those are my three avenues that I focus on on you know gallery paintings are where my priorities are um and i'm primarily a gallery painter i would like to studio work and doing that so i'm always painting but whenever you know murals and merch when they come in they come in and i do them when i can and uh every so often i'll do private commissions and like i mentioned earlier i'm constantly submitting to emails or uh, submitting emails to galleries and you know grants and residencies so yeah being your own boss is what it means to be a full-time artist as you would know I would imagine so lots of different avenues for art so yeah it being a full-time artist definitely means you're your own boss and you have a lot of different maybe you have to have a lot of different avenues in order to stay afloat but everyone's got their own route right like I for the longest time I always thought that I would just be doing some part-time work whatever it is I didn't care and then creating my own personal pieces in my studio and that was it but I realized I just can't sit in the office or do normal work so I was like all right I gotta make the art thing work for me so you know it was murals that was making a lot of uh, money and income with so I started doing murals for clients and private commissions every so often and all that but um yeah you know on top of that I mentioned the whole emailing constantly to galleries applying for residencies grants and contests and everything so it's just constantly doing something <laughs> constantly moving yeah yeah I love um you bringing it back around to like all the outreach that you do um how many I'm just now I'm really curious like what that practically looks like how many emails do you think you send a week or how much time do you really dedicate to that because that really you know I think that's such a hard thing even for me to do because it feels like work you're not getting paid for which so much of being an artist is that right like painting paintings yes. that might not sell and <laughs> yeah. all of that um so yeah how do you manage that how what is how many hours do you put into that and do you ever feel um like insecure or nervous reaching out to um the galleries or opportunities that like feel big and, and exciting yeah uh, so I probably I can't really give you a number, but it all depends on what the deadlines are of the different things that I'm applying for. So for example, maybe just last week, 
I applied for a handful of residencies because they all seem to have similar deadline. Um, and then probably here in a bit, I'll do like another email shoot for certain galleries on the East Coast that I want to get into. And it, yeah, it's hard to say because I, I just keep, a, I keep track of galleries or things that I find opportunities and I just kind of save it away until later. And then I mark the deadline in my calendar and be like, oh yeah, I got to apply for that thing because it'll come up. And then, yeah, it's just sporadic. Maybe like once a month I'll sit down and apply and spend like a couple hours applying for stuff, but constantly searching for them and saving them and then researching, you know, what they're about. So I'm not just blindly applying, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess I, I did get a little bit nervous with ThinkSpace, but it's, more or less just like I'm there's so many emails that people get right that I I I don't know maybe that puts a little less pressure on myself or maybe it makes me feel less nervous because I'm one in a million Mm. (laughs) maybe that would give more nerves to someone feeling like they'll get lost in a sea of emails but yeah I don't know I I get nervous once I get the contact back (laughs) versus um, sending the emails out I guess yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I do feel like in the digital age, it's made it a lot easier on us versus like in the olden days when people had to go around with their slideshow or like whatever people used to do. <laughs> Come in with their portfolio in hand. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have it easy. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> um, so that, that also leads me to wonder, was there ever a point in time uh, where you questioned, and maybe this was like, many, many years ago, but, um, like, am I ready to start reaching out to these things? And did you always just kind of do it or did you hit a point where you're like, no, I think my work is up to par. Um, yeah. Did that ever come into play for you? Uh, you know, I started applying for places in my senior year of art school and granted I didn't get into anything major, you know, it'd be like a salon here locally or um, like a coffee shop at first and then it just kind of kept building up and I think I wasn't so uh, yeah I didn't really question so much about like whether I was ready unless it was like a huge gallery and I'm like well that's just way out of my reach I'm not even gonna try but I feel like anyone whatever skill level they're at can apply for something and get in there's so many avenues for so many different levels of artists that I didn't yeah I didn't feel like too worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I I've noticed that too. It's like wherever you are, there's a step for you, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But sometimes I do think I notice other artists and even myself questioning like, Oh, I have this thing. That's an aspiration. Like, am I really Mm -hmm. at that level or not? Um, Which is, is a hard thing to navigate because I think, sometimes I think a little discernment is good and then I think sometimes we need the push and I think finding that line is really hard (laughs) yeah yeah it's because you don't want to compare but honestly you kind of should you know like you don't you don't want to (laughs) like because you have to motivate yourself somehow right if you're like completely isolated and you don't see what anyone else is creating who's around you maybe around like your resume level anyway as an artist you don't really know like how good is my art in comparison? Like, what can I do to improve? Okay, there are artists better than mine. All right, I got to bump up my quality. You know, like you, you have to have a balance of not going crazy over comparing yourself, but mm-hmm. kind of using it as a tool. But 
yeah, I definitely have, I do that now. Like I, you know, definitely have aspirations and goals within my painting. I don't know if you want to say skills, but just with what I create, um, that I'm constantly trying to figure out how to get to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, do you have anyone, I mean, I know you said your fiance is also an artist, so maybe that's really helpful, but like, do you find that you're usually alone in that process of, you know, um, analyzing whether you need to, to push yourself and in comparison to other people who are where you're at? Like, do you have somebody that you go to for feedback or do you find yourself doing a lot of that on your own? Oh, 100%. My fiance helps me out a lot. Oh, it's good. good. I'm so lucky. So lucky because he's not just a painter, but he's actually really, really good at being articulate and explaining things and breaking down art. And like, he's a born teacher, <laughs> like natural born teacher. Mm. So you know, if I need help, I go to him and ask him, hey, what do you think of this? Or, you know, we do that for each other. We'd be like, hey, what do you think of this? And it, I think he gives better advice than I do. So I feel bad for him <laughs> having only me to turn to. <laughs> that's yeah, really funny. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think that's sometimes I've noticed like I can do a lot on my own, but then when I bring somebody else into the process, whether that's like an artist friend or like a consultant of some kind, um, there's just things I would never be able to do completely on my own as like, hardworking as I am, you know, like you just need that outside eye sometimes. Even studio artists being hermits need the outside help. Definitely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So on this note of like outreach, um, how have you found that to be living in Hawaii? I'm so interested in um, like how artists are really making it work who don't live in major cities. Um, is there an art scene there? Do you feel like that's been a factor? Um, how's that been? Definite art scene, but it's small. So when I was living here before I moved to the mainland, which was in 2010, um, I left because there was nothing for me in terms of real good art education. Uh, we had like a museum that we can go to and the work never changed. You know, it was the, any kind of art market there was was tourist art so like paintings of the beaches and whatever that would be the biggest thing so i left and i was gone for seven years and during that time so much has happened that i was really surprised coming back like powwow happened here it started i think two years after i left so powwow really changed things and really brought up street art to be like the biggest thing in hawaii now competing with probably the tourist art but um that's really big murals are really big and there is kind of a demand for more contemporary artwork here it's still a small pool but it is growing slowly um, but i honestly try my best to outreach online because that's the only thing we can do especially now but my plans were with my fiance to go and travel more often so we want to make it out to like art basil we want to make it out to like the bigger festivals and shows and just check it out um but yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, we're all, we're all doing things online. We all live in, <laughs> we all live somewhere very rural at this point in time because we right, right. Um, Yeah, that's really interesting. I, it's such a hard thing because I think living in a major city, um, 
you know, can be so expensive for artists, but then at the same time, I, any, I don't know. I like, I like hearing stories of people who are making it work, um, like everywhere, no matter where they live. Um, not to mention who doesn't want to live in Hawaii. So it's good to know that that's an option for people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great with technology now. We can just send works off. Yeah. It'll work anywhere, right? Exactly. Um, so before we close out, I kind of like to ask two closing questions. And the first one is what advice would you have like for your past self starting out wanting to be an artist, like learning how to navigate, learning how to find her style, learning how to like reach out and make this work financially in any department, like what advice would you give? I, man, there's a lot that I regret doing when I was younger. So I probably would have told myself to, I don't know, try to be more responsible, (laughs) be responsible for your actions and think about objects as real people. Maybe I should say that because I've, I've haven't put in a lot of care to things when I was younger and I haven't, if that makes sense, like taking care of things and like your um, artwork, taking care of myself, anything. It could be just like, household furniture or just random objects I feel like I should have really uh just treated items better (laughs) okay um fair enough so that's something I would have told myself and maybe yeah to really think before I act (laughs) (laughs) always good advice um, yeah and maybe just don't freak out too much (laughs) yes don't freak out too much. That, that one lands pretty hard for me too. <laughs> um, so what's next for you? What are you working on now? Like, what do you have coming up this year? Anything you'd like to share? Uh, I do have a group show coming up with powwow since they can't have the festival this year. They're putting together a group show with all the powwow artists. So I have a piece coming up with them. And I guess for now, I'm just continuing my Souls in Motion piece, continuing to explore Hieronymus Bosch and uh, more of his paintings put into my paintings. And I'm also exploring this fairly new theme um, related to Chinese dynastic cycles, which is going to be in some newer works coming up as well. So there's that. (laughs) Very cool. Um, Can you... Tell us more about what those cycles are. For I don't actually, I'm not familiar with that, and, and I'm really curious. Yeah, sure. So there's this thing called Chinese dynastic cycles, where some like ancient Chinese philosopher thought up thought it up, and they've been China's been using it as like a political um, practice or whatever. But it's basically is like the rise and fall of an empire. So whenever there's a new empire that's formed, there's someone that takes the lead and they say that he has the mandate of heaven, which is like a heavenly order given down, like a right for someone to rule over people. Um, they, so they say that he has a mandate of power and they want to label it as that because it also gives them the right to take it away from someone if they find them being too overly corrupt. So it's like a political move. So they have this in the beginning of the empire. And then, you know, there's four stages. So that's the beginning, the second, you know, everything's going well within the empire. There's being, there's a new buildings and new infrastructure being built and people are generally very happy and they're having a lot of babies. Population is rising and everything's fed. And then there's a point where things turn where 
corruption is realized within the elite or the higher up courts. So there's some kind of corruption that happens and people find out a bit about the corruption and um, there's like a turning point where people start to like lose their jobs or lose money and more people are hungry and then it goes down to the third period where it's just going into chaos where there's famines breaking out, um, civil war breaks out, um, more and more corruption ensues throughout the entire dynasty and there's a lot of people dying and then eventually at the end of the cycle someone new takes over takes down this unfit ruler takes away their mandate of heaven and they get the mandate of heaven and start ruling a whole new empire and the cycle just repeats itself so yeah the rise and fall of an empire okay yeah that i get it now like dynastic like dynasty i was like oh that's Mm -hmm. what that's what she means. Um, that's super interesting. And I can really see that playing out in your work in very interesting ways. Um, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see what you come up with. Um, I've so enjoyed following your work so far and just makes me more excited to see what comes next for you. So. Thank you. Feeling is mutual. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being such an open book. It was a real pleasure to have you on. I'll stay with you. Thank you, Devin. Wait, shoot. Am I saying your name right? I know yeah, you are. Name. You are saying it right. Lots oh, of people say oh, it wrong, okay. <laughs> but you got it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Lauren was really fun for me to connect with. Please do check out her work. It's freaking amazing. Uh, You can find links to everything in the show notes. And if you would like to support the show, one way to do so is through Patreon, which I mentioned in the introduction. But other free ways to support the show include leaving us a review or rating on the Apple Podcast app. So if you're on the app, just scroll down to where you're listening And there should be a place to hit some five stars if you feel so inclined and to tell us about what you're enjoying about the show. Another way is to find us on Instagram, give us a follow and share and tag us in the episode that you're listening to. Those shares are really how the show gets out to other artists. So um, those mean a lot too. Thank you so much for being here today. That pretty much brings us to the end and I will see you next week. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.